Welcome to episode 91 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. We are uh, here with our uh, regular crew uh, of hosts, uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams, uh, the Reverend Michael Bauer. Finally, we can call him the Reverend. Congratulations, Reverend. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we all know him when he's not in the room as the not-so-very Reverend, but that's okay. Uh, and I am uh, Pastor John Payne, uh, Senior Pastor of Christ Church Presbyterian, and we're here at our Christ Church offices downtown at 104 Broad Street, and uh, we are in the Christmas season, aren't we, guys? That's right. We are, we are in the Christmas season, and... Um, and before we, we launch into talking about some themes about Christmas, um, I wanted to bring up something I saw on Facebook the other day, Gabe. Uh, I, I looked and I, I had to do a double take, and I saw a glorious afro on your yeah, head. I did uh, have an afro. <laughs> and uh, there were some outcries to, to bring the afro back. And I how think it was just you, John. <laughs> Well, I know at least I know at least my son was asking for it as well. Um, but uh, how do you feel about that? Is it is it coming back at any time? No, it's, no. Uh, keeping an afro is a twenty thirty minute per day process. We're, we're not going back that direction. <laughs> okay, well we'll keep working on you, Gabe. I'm not giving up yet. Um, but we are in the Christmas season, and uh, there are lots of things during this time of year that. Uh, that are are fun and uh, and uh, you know we listen to the the Christmas mu- music and we think of families getting together mm-hmm. and we think of good food and uh, kind of comfort food mm-hmm. at time of year and uh, some of the the old traditional Christmas movies that are fun to watch mm-hmm. and a lot of them have a very nice sort of uh, redemptive theme and all of that. Um, but uh, what is sad, I think, is as as I have have examined. Uh, culture over the last 25 years, you know, as a as a Christian, I've seen that a lot of people kind of look to this time of year to bring some kind of relief mm-hmm. to their anxiety, to their stress, to the struggles perhaps in their marriage or with their work, and they're kind of using Christmas as a kind of therapeutic answer Mm -hmm. to their problems and probably a little escapism going on there as well Uh, let me just watch christmas music and our christmas movies and listen to christmas music and kind of you know forget about all my struggles Mm -hmm. um and that's interesting and we see the marketing sort of taking advantage of that definitely right i think one of the things that i always observe is well even this year uh, we had a late thanksgiving which meant christmas was immediately advertised i think maybe two days before thanksgiving you already saw this stuff out Mm -hmm. but what comes to my mind usually for a lot of christmas discussions i think people like to reminisce about their childhood in a lot of ways you think back to christmas you think back to certain scenes you had in your mind or certain experiences you have your parents and so uh if you're if you have had parents pass away Within the last couple of years, Christmas is where those memories right. come back in your mind. And right. yeah, in that sense, it's a therapeutic reminiscing yeah. sort of sense. But yeah, the, the marketing side of it is clearly taking advantage of the fact yes. that people are yeah. more gullible this time of year than probably other right. times. Right, they're they're vulnerable yeah. right, uh, to, to that. And so they... Uh, and, and as well with the whole gift-giving mm-hmm. uh, phenomenon where you, you basically are... 
made to think that if I don't spoil my my loved ones with lots of gifts, that mm. I'm not a good father, I'm not a good husband, right. I'm not a good friend. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to be called the Grinch. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, but there's this constant flood through. You know, this is big football time mm. of year, right? So I, I probably watch more television this time of year than mm -hmm. than ever because I'm watching a lot of college football, and of course I'm seeing the commercials as well. Oh, yeah. And they just bombard you with. It's Christmas, you know, you need this yeah. and, and your, your kids need this and your wife needs that. And, and uh, you just made to feel like, um, you know, you're only going to be loving if you, if you buy all their products. So, so we have all this going on and it can be quite distracting. And, and it's important, I think, to distinguish between a cultural Christmas ethos and the biblical understanding right. of right. of Christmas, where we focus on what actually will give uh, will give us more than just temporary relief from our our anxieties. Mm -hmm. It'll give us eternal relief Amen. from uh, hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it'll give us e eternal relief from God's judgment. It'll it'll give us that peace that passes all understanding that is a long-lasting peace rather than something that just comes and goes based on which Christmas movie you just watched. Mm, right. And so, so today we're going to talk about uh, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. What better time of year to do that? And mm. we're going to do this by taking a look at uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, published in 1563. And a catechism, for those uh, who are unfamiliar with what a catechism is, who are listening in today, it's basically a pedagogical tool, a, a teaching tool, uh, question, in question and answer format to, to be able to understand the uh, high points and mountain peaks of Christian doctrine. So the most important mm -hmm. things. And so what... Heidelberg has done is it's an explication or explanation of the Apostles' Creed, of uh, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. And really, it's been thematically divided up into three sections, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Mm -hmm. We recognize our guilt as sinners who deserve judgment, but then we are shown the solution, which mm -hmm. is Christ, and so there is grace uh, through our mediator, and then we live a life of gratitude and obedience to the mm -hmm. Lord. And so that's the Heidelberg Catechism. And today we're going to unpack Lord's Day 14. This catechism is broken up into 52 Lord's Days in order to study these questions and answers on various Lord's Day throughout the year. And question 35 uh, and 36, they deal with this section of the Apostles' Creed, what is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? Uh, Gabe, would you mind uh, reading us the answer to uh, question 35 as well as the, the, the question and answer for 36? Sure. Question 35. What is the meaning of conceived body Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary? So answer, that the eternal Son of God, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, so that he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things except for sin. So that's question 35. And question 36 asks, What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? 
So the answer, that he is our mediator and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sights of God my sin wherein I was conceived. So a lot going on here. Let's, let's kind of walk through these uh, questions and answers uh, and uh, unpack some of the rich theology that's, that's uh, found here. Uh, what is the meaning of conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? And the first part of that answer says that the eternal Son of God, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man. Let's, let's discuss for, for a few minutes this idea of the eternality of, mm. of the Son of God, taking upon himself the very nature of man, uh, but continuing true and eternal God. So very basic, very basic uh, doctrine that separates Christians from everyone else would be the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the hypostatic union, that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He was never created. He has always been. He always will be. And therefore, he is co-equal with the Father in power and glory. And all the honor that is due to the Father is also due to the Son, because he is not part of the creation. He is very God of very God. Yes, I was just going to mention that from the Nicene Creed. Yeah. He's God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Mm -hmm. Begotten, not made. Exactly. Being of one substance, substance with the Father. Mm -hmm. Colossians 1, Paul says that he is before all things. Uh, Christ is, is before creation. He was the author of creation and therefore must be before creation. Yes, yeah. yes, and, and so this eternality of God is uh, a distinctively Christian doctrine, as, mm -hmm. as, as you said, Gabe. Mm -hmm. uh, um, there are modern cults mm -hmm. that teach otherwise. Of course. And so we have today's, uh, if you've been in Charleston <laughs> in the last two months, you've seen many Jehovah's Witnesses yes. all around, and... There is a very clear teaching that they have regarding Jesus Christ, that he is the first creation of God. That's their right. misunderstanding of what it means to be firstborn first of creation. Right. So that's one example of someone, of a group of people that do not believe that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was eternal. He was created by God before the rest of creation. So that means he must be part of the creation. And that heresy so, that's spouted by Jehovah's Witnesses is precisely the heresy that was... Uh, that was the impetus for the Nicene yeah. Council, right? exactly. the Council of Nicaea and the, and the, and the Nicene Creed. And, uh, it's an ancient heresy. It's not just one that was yeah. <laughs> was created. Uh, Most right. heresies are ancient, yeah. even today. And yes. so the, this yeah. is just the, air, uh, the heresy of Arius is reappearing yes. in a mm -hmm. slightly different form. Yeah. But the core right. is essentially the same, that this is still a created being who, in their eyes, is worthy of honor but clearly cannot be worthy of the same honor as the Father right. because you're part of the creation in that sense. Yes, and of course, in a, the Nicene Creed was written to combat mm -hmm. uh, Arianism. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why, for instance, for our listeners, some of who may think, you know, is it really necessary to recite creeds yeah. in mm -hmm. public worship? Is it really necessary to even talk mm -hmm. about them at all? Mm -hmm. I mean, shouldn't we just talk about Jesus? <laughs> we are talking about Jesus. Exactly. And we're doing so in the formulations that the church, the Christian church, has embraced mm -hmm. and taught for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the idea that it's somehow unspiritual mm -hmm. or 
uh, you know, overly doctrinal to talk about creeds and confessions um, really is to demonstrate one's ignorance of what's in those creeds and confessions. Because as a thoughtful Christian, if you were to read them, you would say, oh my goodness, this is so rich. Mm-hmm. And it's telling us who God is. Uh, and, and rather than restricting us, catechisms and confessions, creeds, they, they free us to not have to make it up. Or we, don't, we don't have to come up with uh, the truth on our own. We have a yes. long line of 2,000 years of uh, smarter people than we are <laughs> coming up with these things and writing them down for us, for posterity. Yeah, so, so we have this first section dealing with the eternality of the Son. Uh, Jesus is not an emanation from God. Uh, he was not created. Uh, he is not a kind of a morphed angel. Um, he, is, he is God. And he did not cease from being God when he took on human flesh. And so we have that hypostatic union. One person, two natures. Um, and then it says, of uh, the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary by the operation of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that was something we, we, we considered this past week uh, in my sermon on, uh, on the Magnificat, uh, Mary's song, and the, the angel visiting her and making this, this announcement that she uh, would would have a have a son, and she said, "What? How is this going to be? How could this happen?" Yeah, she she knows the birds and the bees. And she she recognizes that she's not been with a man, and and she's thinking, "How can this be?" And uh, he said, "The over the Holy Spirit uh, will overshadow you." And um, and so just as the Holy Spirit uh, hovered over creation mm-hmm. uh, in Genesis one, just as the Holy Spirit filled. Uh, the temple with the presence of God in the Old Covenant, uh, just as the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and indwelling the church. Mm-hmm. You have all these miraculous ways the Spirit is, is, is revealing himself and pouring himself out on uh, the people of God and mm-hmm. on creation. Here we have the greatest work of the Spirit uh, in uh, bringing about this, this conception uh, in, in a way that preserves the Christ from having original sin yes. as well, right? Um, he did not, he was not born, or he's not conceived in the ordinary way. He was born in an ordinary way, but not not conceived in an ordinary way. And this is one of those, uh, I think, concepts or just topics where it's meant to be contemplated. Yeah. And if you consider what the early church spent their time focused on and thought hard and deep about was this very topic because if you just took it at a face value all you would do is scratch your head is how can it be possible that the eternal immense unlimited god is now in the womb of a of a young woman how how does that work but in a lot of ways this is what contemplation over the history of the church is about is this very mystery of mysteries that the way in which God himself chose to redeem his people is by the incarnation, at least the first uh, aspect of that. And what you're seeing here in terms of how the Gospels themselves speak about it is that Mary not really being the focus of the whole account, but clearly she's very important in terms of the history of redemption. What you're seeing is this majestic a revelation that has n- not been understood for ages past and now you have the apostles and those who follow the apostles contemplating on what has just happened that mm-hmm. 
the one that you walked with day and night who was tired, who was sleep at times and etc. He is the one who upholds and sustains creation. And I always commend people to go and read early church fathers' work, particularly the Greek fathers, on this topic because you'll just, the same way they were raptured with the mystery, you will be if you just right. contemplate. Yeah, and that's a good segue into a quote by uh, Melanchthon, uh, mm -hmm. Luther's successor, that mm -hmm. uh, is beautiful. And he said, uh, we do better to adore the mm -hmm. mysteries of deity than to investigate them. And this, um, this doctrine of the incarnation of Christ is one that moves us uh, not to comprehend, mm -hmm. but to adore. Mm -hmm. We'll never fully understand how something like this can happen. It's, it's, it's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so we, we adore our God. Where, where our understanding stops, our hands are raised in doxology mm -hmm. to give praise to the Lord. And uh, so as we think about Christmas, it is a time of wonder. Mm -hmm. um, not about wondering what kind of gifts you're going to get under the mm -hmm. tree. Yeah. A time of wonder over the eternal mysteries of, of God and His works, mm -hmm. which are impossible for our finite minds to understand, and yet we know they are true. Um, Christ was born of a virgin. It was mm -hmm. prophesied 700 years uh, before His coming by Isaiah. Uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That mystery of mysteries, the one who upholds the universe, is being held in the arms of Mary. Mm -hmm. It's glorious stuff. Um, and this moves us to worship. This is the best part of this time of year, right, sure, when yeah. as a church we sort of take a break from everything else and we focus in on this glorious doctrine. Amen. Amen. And continuing with that uh, question 35, it says that body operation of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus Christ, he might also be the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things except for sin. And now you get to one of the things that the author of the Hebrews spends a lot of time focusing on regarding why did the Son of God, why did he become man? What was mm -hmm. the benefit and use of that? And what is, in many ways, you can say shocking to the author of the Hebrews, but to us as well, is that Jesus Christ deliberately became like his brothers in all things. As it says in Hebrews, he was tempted in every single place as we were, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. And that means when you think of the incarnation, you're thinking of the God who is not just around us, he is the God who is drawn near to us. And there's no nearer than God could be than to take upon himself our very nature with the weaknesses and frailties of our particular nature. Mm -hmm. And again, what demonstrates God's love towards his people more than willing to identify with his people, not just now, but as the question says, continues to be <laughs> true God and true man. He can continuously identifies with us all the way from then to eternity. He is always going to be the true man with true God in that sense. And and, and it says here as well, doesn't it, in this, this little clause that he is of the seed of David. Mm -hmm. And that's important because we have this 
this seed going through the line of Abraham and uh, and through the line of David, and da- and and promises are made both yeah. to Abraham and to David about this coming seed and to Mary and to Mary, right? And so we. Oh, I'm sorry, Eve. Eve, yeah, yeah, Eve. Bad, but also, yeah. also, also Mary. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of promises were made to her as well. So. Um, but in, in 2 Samuel 7, um, we have God making this promise to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Mm-hmm. Um, your offspring will be on this throne forever and ever. And so... Uh, we have this reinforced uh, throughout Scripture and in the New Testament accounts as mm-hmm. well. We have this reinforced. He is of the true seed of David, like unto his brethren in all things, except for for sin. Uh, and so uh, that brings us to question 36. What benefit then? You say, okay, well, Pastor John, uh, Gabe, Michael, that, that's great. But what benefit... Question 36 asks, do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? Answer, that he is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin, wherein I was conceived. So Christ is conceived in a virgin and born in innocence. We are conceived naturally and inheriting the original sin of Adam. Conceived and born in sin. Mm -hmm. David says in in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Jesus is born in innocence, we are born in guilt and in Mm -hmm. sin. And that sin begins to show itself very early in our lives. Uh, Those of us who who have children, we know Mm -hmm. that, right? and with Christ, it wasn't the case. He lived his entire life in perfect conformity to the law. He never transgressed the law of God. And so then he goes as a righteous man, as one of us. He goes to Calvary and he lays his life down. And he, he bears the guilt of our sin, of the sin of all the elect. And he, he bears the, the wrath of God uh, for that sin. Uh, so, as Luther said one time, Jesus was the greatest, uh, 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 had the, more guilt on him than anybody else in the history of the world, right? But it was our guilt, not his own, mm-hmm. right? And so, here Christ is, the innocent one, dying for the guilty. And so, he becomes our mediator. He mediates between God and man. Uh, man who is rebellious against God, God who is hostile towards man because of our our sin and rebellion. And so it's really important that we think about this. We think about not only Jesus' conception here, mm-hmm. but our own conception. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is practical, isn't it? Um, uh, as we stand, and this is important for all of our listeners to get, this is the gospel. As we stand before God, Christ's holiness his righteousness covers us so that God declares us righteous in his sight, not because we have lived a certain way, not because we've accomplished certain things, not because we have a case full of trophies of moral, you know, and outstanding acts of righteousness. In fact, our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's always mixed with sin, right? But it's because he declares us righteous 
solely based on the on on the holiness that covers mm. us, which is the holiness of Christ, right. imputed to us. Our sin is imputed to Christ. Christ's holiness, his righteousness, imputed to us. And so Christ is condemned on the cross. He becomes a curse. And we get the benefit of his righteousness. Amen. And so he becomes our mediator. Mm -hmm. So really, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that Christmas is about the mediator. It's about the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our union with him by grace through faith. Amen. I think one of the things, uh, the scripture that comes to mind when thinking about uh, the mediatory work of Christ is Hebrews 7, mm -hmm. uh, 24 and 25, that it speaks about Jesus being the high priest yeah. and he holds that office together. And therefore, verse 25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession mm. for them. And there are numerous reasons why he is always doing this, but one basic reason you can say is by virtue of the incarnation, he is always identified with man and his people. And that means that when he, when Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father, the righteousness that is his is appropriate to us, and his very presence there. Uh, is the intercessory work that he gives for his people. Mm. And so we do not have to, you know, as as Paul referenced, we don't have to bring Christ down to us so that we are made favorable. His very presence in glory with the Father, uh, in that human nature, in that same nature that we have, is in making intercession for us for all time. Right. Amen. Amen. So as, as we wrap up this uh, episode... Um, it's just really important for us all to remember and for us to remind our children, our covenant children, that uh, sure, Christmas time is a time that we think about gifts, uh, but there's no greater gift uh, than the gift of God's Son, uh, the gift of Emmanuel, uh, whom God sent to this earth to take on human flesh without ceasing to be the eternal God to be of the seed of David, to, to be the central figure in the unfolding history of redemption. Um, he is, as Hebrews teaches us, the greater Moses. He's, he's the greater Aaron, high priest. He's, he's greater than the angels. Uh, he's, he's greater than, than the, the greatest figures in, in, in Old Testament history. He is the fulfillment of those those promises and all the types and shadows from the temple. And uh, he is worthy of our praise and devotion. And so this, this don't miss the gift of Christ mm. as you are overwhelmed by all the, the marketing and the, <laughs> the busyness and the, 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 all the ways the world is going to try to grab your attention and your imagination. That's right. Let the mystery of the Incarnation capture your imagination uh, like never before. We are so thankful that uh, you are able to be with us uh, on Between the Times, and we hope you'll join us next time.